Hi, I'm Shauna Ray. And I'm Leah Hunt. And this is Kitchen Confessionals. We thought that we would today um, back up a little bit and talk about how and why we started Kitchen Confessionals and and the name and the story behind the name. So we wanted to have conversations that made us uncomfortable and that we don't talk openly with a gang of friends necessarily or acquaintances. Uh, And Leah had the brilliant idea of the name Kitchen Confessionals because when you're at a party, typically that in the kitchen is where you would have the most vulnerable and open conversations, perhaps after a little bit of liquid courage. Uh, and, and we can talk about that in another episode. We can unpack that a little bit about the numbing yeah. process. But one of the biggest, I guess, most common things that make many of us uncomfortable, including Leah and I, is conflict. Mm-hmm. And conflict, well, I guess I think it's something you learn, that you learn how to deal with, you learn how to sit with. And I thought perhaps um, I would start by talking about a couple of instances where I remember my parents having conflict and, um, you know, how it felt and, and the lessons that I, I guess, pulled from that. Mm-hmm. Um, not knowing as a child that, you know, there were, there were other choices. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. one of the instances, we, we what we live. yeah, one of the instances was, um, my mom and dad got into a fight. Uh, my mom locked herself in the bathroom and my dad was pounding on the door. And I actually remember that he pounded it pretty hard and I don't know what was used, whether it was a foot or whatever. And there was, a, but there was a dent in the wooden door afterwards. Mm. So he did it pretty hard. And, and I, my mom was a very quiet, mousy person. So, um, I never saw her get upset or swear or anything until I was an adult. And so seeing my parents like that was super scary for me. No one ever had a conversation with me or my siblings, my brothers, about what it was about, what it meant, you know, explained it to me, sorry, you were, you saw that or any of those things. Uh, I was just left with the feelings that I had about it. And then another instance, I was probably a tween, I would say, and I overheard my parents talking about sex. In fact, it was my dad trying to convince my mom to have sex. And I could hear it through the, <laughs> through the wall. And, and I thought, number one, I shouldn't be hearing this conversation. I'm not old enough okay. to hear this conversation. I don't know why dad is convincing mom. And I don't know why mom is resisting. Mm. Um, no, these are only things that I've come to as an adult. I never would have thought those things as a child. I just would have been totally, again, alone with those feelings, alone with the fact that I didn't understand. I had no understanding of what that all meant. And when it came to um, disagreeing with my parents, 
I do remember be, being very angry at them for some reason. They had given me shit for something. And I got so mad, I wrote it out on a paper and slid it under their bedroom door that I was pissed off and angry and you make me angry because of this and this and this. So always for me, writing it down. That's what I learned was to write it all down because I really never had words, never felt okay with all the emotion and passion that I always seemed to have. I always seemed to be <laughs> enveloped with emotion and, mm -hmm. and with no idea what to do with it and nowhere for it to go and no one to talk to about it. And, and so I never learned how to disagree, how to put up boundaries, how to have a conversation with an adult about what I need, any of those things. And that's how it began. <laughs> and and what about you, Leah? What was your experience? So, so much of what you're sharing. I mean, <clears throat> I think what's interesting when you share your experiences from your childhood is um, my brain, which already operates in a too noisy and too quick way, the majority of the time goes into overdrive because I find myself naturally processing it both as a child and as a parent. Um, and so that's always interesting to me because that can be a very slippery slope and a bit of a fucking vortex, if I'm being honest, Sure. because it's like, oh man, how did I feel as a child? Oh my God, how, how have I already screwed my kids up that I can't like, <laughs> like, have, like that's, that's what I'm thinking is immediately I'm like, especially in light of the fact that we now live in this tiny house and I am confident my kids have heard more. Like it, it's not like I'm quiet to begin with, but add to that a smaller house, you know, <laughs> I'm sure they've heard even more in the last sort of few months uh, than they they normally would have. So, so I the emotion part of it, the the feeling, like I really can even as you're describing those stories, feel the emotion, remembering what it was like to experience conflict as a child, um, and. And while you describe it as being sort of enveloped in emotion, I remember feeling very um, at odds with emotion. I didn't know what to do with those feelings. I had not yet figured out to write it down. That came later in life for me. Um, and I remember feeling... Um, just, yeah, like this sense of disease because I didn't know what to do. No one, have, no one had ever taught me the role that conflict plays in relationships. No one had ever, um, and, and we didn't talk about it as children. If your parents never fought, I wouldn't know. If your parents fought all the time, I wouldn't know. We didn't talk about no. these sorts of things. Um, it, it's, I just had a memory of when, when we lived before we moved to the small town that I've moved back to now. So this, I would have been less than eight years old. Like I, like I would have been a young girl. 
I went for a sleepover at a friend's house, Leslie, and I woke up the next morning and her mother was sitting at the kitchen table in a bathrobe, smoking a cigarette with a black eye. Mm, oh. And I, I, I was like, what the, f- what happened? What's happening? Like, I I did not know. And Leslie was like, she wanted to get, she was like, we're taking the bus downtown or whatever. And there was all this tension, all this tension between the two parents. I mean, obviously that that had been a conflict that has escalated to physical Mm -hmm. um, violence. And... I hadn't connected the dots, but it was like, Leslie knew how to navigate this. Already. And it was like, we needed to get the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. And so we went on the bus to the mall or so, I don't know what we did, but, which I was also overwhelmed by because I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to go. <laughs> and I'm yeah. pretty sure I'm not allowed to go anywhere by myself. But it was like, Leslie was in charge. And I was just like, what? I was like, well, I want to get the hell out of here. Um, and so... But we never talked about that. I never asked her, like, you know, what, what happened? What's going? Yeah. What happened to your mom? Also, your mom smokes in the house. That's the most. That's the most badass thing I've ever seen. Um, I, I, there was no conversation about that, and and so we go into our adult relationships, um, not knowing, uh, what what how to fight, how to fight fair. Yeah. Um, which is a big thing that I know, you know, Tim and I have been married for 20 years and, and it is an ongoing process. We had both, we have very different experiences of what conflict looked like. Um, I'm very grateful in hindsight to my parents for fighting because what it taught me, and let me be clear, fighting, verbal fighting, shouting, okay, mm-hmm. loud voices, right. never, never what I saw at Leslie's Getting house. it out. Yes. And I, rem- and, and there's two, two quick things I would share. Um, and it was early in, it was early in my marriage when I talked to my mom about Tim and I weren't doing well. We were having a lot of conflict. We were whatever. And she told me this story of after she and my dad got married, they had their first fight, like kind of, I don't know whether it was slamming doors and fuck you. And like, I don't know how big a fight it was, but it was what she called their first big fight. And she says, and I went to my bedroom, Leah, and I threw myself on my bed and I cried into my pillow because I thought my marriage was over because I had never seen my parents fight. I was like, I'm married. This doesn't, I've never seen this in a marriage before. Therefore this is broken. And, and, and so it, it, it allowed, it, it allowed us to open up about, to be vulnerable with each other as married women Mm-hmm. more than as mother daughter. Right. And so it was interesting. It was a reestablishing of our relationship in new roles where we could connect with each other. And she began to share with me how 
the lack of discussion about how to conflict resolution, the fact that conflict is a part of every relationship, no matter what, um, needs to be handled and and all of those sorts of things. Um, And she gave me advice that I, I still sort of hold on to, which is, she said, she said, you don't need to worry about fighting. She's like, fighting is loud talking. You need to be worried when the talking stops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you can't be fucking bothered to fight anymore. And, and for me, it just helped to re, um, focus, resituate, reframe, reframe Mm -hmm. how conflict fits into a relationship. Um, and, and I, I, I wonder whether there's a better way. Like we don't learn. Like, so how do we, how have you learned how to fight? How have you learned or figured out or been taught how to, how disagree? to navigate conflict? Yeah. How, like how, how to disagree. Uh, so I say how to fight fair or whatever, like whatever right. language you use. I mean, so I can, got, t- I've had two marriages, yeah. two marriages okay. where I never um, knew how to fight or disagree or mm-hmm. have boundaries or any of those things. And I can openly say in a lot of those situations where I didn't know what to say, I didn't know how to confront mm-hmm. it, I drank or ate or overexercised. Yeah. So I numbed everything that made me feel uncomfortable with something else. And so nothing ever got resolved in both of those mm-hmm. marriages. But I chose partners that also did not know how to face conflict. Mm -hmm. And the relationship that I'm in now is the most mature that I've ever had. And I'm into my 50s uh, and he's in his 40s and neither of us, and we admit this to one another though, always that we didn't have examples of how to put up boundaries, how to kindly but firmly say to someone, mm-hmm. this really bothered me without insulting them, without making them so sensitive that they want to shut down because that at first was us. We would, we would get hurt and then shut down. So then the conversation ended and then we're left with all those feelings alone and isolated. So only in the last you know, few years, and, and we've been together eight years now, I would say in the last half of our relationship, we've really learned how to disagree and how to put up boundaries. But to, to give Dan the credit he deserves is he also is recognizing his white privilege that he's had for so many years. And, you know, how I have been programmed to be subservient to what he wants and what I don't want to fight with him about things because then it's uncomfortable and then it's going to turn into, you know, an hour before we leave kind of thing. Right. And so it's putting aside that time. It was his suggestion to have twice a week check-ins where we sit side by side, like, like uh, Chandler and Joey, literally in front of the TV, in the recliner recliner chairs. No, side by side. And we talk, we start with the positives of, you know, from the last uh, check-in, what great things we've done and, and, you know, what the other person has done, but what we feel we've done. 
And then we talk about what's bothering us in a, in a gentle, loving, um, compassionate, empathetic way. And, and it has been transformational. However, yeah. I'm 54 years old. And if I, I would know. have learned that in my 20s or my 30s, I never saw my parents disagree. When they got divorced, I was 14 and I had rarely seen them fight. So it was a complete shock to me. That's why I remember those two situations so vividly is because they were the only times I really remember them hashing things out. So, so that also, you know, carries over into all situations in my life Mm -hmm. where if I have a conflict with someone at work, how do you handle that? How do you handle, Mm. you know, for me, I didn't have the confidence. There's a lot of layers to it. But let's start with you. What, what, mm-hmm. when it comes to conflict at work, how did you mm-hmm. handle or how do you handle that? So this is the one space of my life where I feel like I did actually get some training. Um, so as a, as a coach and a leader, when you have a big sort of an operation or a big people or an organization that you're responsible for, your boss, like the, the organization has a responsibility to make sure that you know how to manage uh, and enter into in a respectful way because they're concerned not with um, who's right and wrong in a conflict. They, they're looking at all the people involved as their team members and everybody needs to survive whatever the conflict is. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the conflict can be um, interpersonal. It can be, uh, so, and it's interesting actually how the language around the training has even involved. So when I first started in leadership training, there was a course called Difficult Conversation. Yeah. <laughs> right? Difficult yes. Conversation. Uncomfortable. And then about, right? And then about five years later, they changed the label to Important Conversations, which was, uh, so language matters a lot to us. And that was a real, because it was like, difficult implies, uh, y- you know, you got to do it, but you don't want to. Nobody wants to be here. And important help change the language to like addressing important things that will make you uncomfortable. And the reason you're doing it is not because you have to and it's your job, but because it's important. And so, and I'm sure the language has evolved since then, right? Um, but that that's the one space where I actually got some training and I was taught how to separate. I think the most important thing early in my professional (laughs) was learning how to separate facts from judgment. And that seems straightforward, but it's not. And the way you go about doing that. So how did you handle conflict (laughs) when you had conflict? So So the way I handled conflict was I went in guns blazing once I had convinced myself that I was fucking right. Yep. I, 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 I took the, like, it was like. You backed it up with facts. Shauna, it was, I, I was going (laughs) to litigate 
Yeah. I was, I, I rest my case, your honor. Like it was like, there was going to be a scene. You can't handle the truth. Like it was a whole thing. Like I was going in. Yeah. And so (laughs) I can see that and it's not uncommon, right? No. So spoiler alert, everybody. It's not a great strategy. Um, (laughs) And it, it, it actually made me more vulnerable because I went into it blinders on proving my proving why I was right instead of engaging in anything like understanding. So I would say at least five times out of 10, the thing I thought we were fighting about wasn't the thing that was actually wrong. I went in prepared to litigate, you know, you know, topic A, and it turns out that actually there was a misunderstanding somewhere back in our communication that once we actually got to it, we all went, oh, 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 okay. So, so we're okay then? Like it's, so it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a participatory activity for me initially conflict. It was very much a stand your ground. This is why I'm right. I'm going to prove it. Um, And don't back down. And and don't, don't fucking blink. Don't flinch. Don't blink. Don't like, because that's this big, and that connects back to, I think things we've talked before around weakness, Mm -hmm. the perception of weakness. And so for me, what was important in conflict was to be prepared, was to be right. And was to never flinch. Right. And, uh, I unrecommend all of those things. (laughs) I give them zero stars. Yeah. And have only by virtue of sort of, I think some of the professional training, but, but very honestly, I mean, I genuinely cared about the people that I worked with. And so when there were points of conflict, all all the training in the world was great. But at the end of the day, I was sitting down with someone that I really cared about. And I've, I, I felt a, a sense of duty and obligation to, to help them understand something that was important. So, so a business decision, for example, I remember one conversation in particular, where we changed hours of operation in our business. Okay. All of a sudden people were going to start working Sundays. We had to change shifts, all this sort of stuff. I had a 45 minute conversation in my office with, with one individual who was screaming at me and in tears and, because the reality was that this change, no matter how much sense it made, no matter how logical, no matter how fact-based, was going to turn her personal life upside down. It impacted her childcare. It impacted her uh, her 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 kind of bottom line economics because of are you talking about and where she were lived. you going to fire her? Is that what you're talking? No. About? Oh, okay. No. No, okay. no, I wasn't firing anybody. Uh, so what was happening is is the the sh- the shift that she had worked up until now, the schedule that she had uh, in this okay. in this contact center mm-hmm. was built around her life, right? And and the and the reality is is that that creates a number of different issues. First of all, like. It's, it's not fair. It creates sort of second class, first and second class citizens. And so in order to do that, it was like we reset the table and everybody was going to work the same shifts, same rotations, all that sort of stuff. For the majority of people, it was, you know, a step change. For her, it was cataclysmic because so, she so came much to- else in her life right. was built around this unique schedule. And so I was changing this in my view and from a business perspective, one small thing 
and the ripple effects for her were enormous. And so, so did she come my, to you with that conflict? Is that what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. she wanted because to sit down and have a conversation with you about how it had changed her life, how it impacted her, right? And what it forced me to what it what it forced me to do, what it allowed me to do, was give her that space to share how share the impact. It didn't matter what my intention was. It didn't matter that this was the right thing for the business and that this was a good business decision. For her, it was a nightmare. And yep. so it she it, it and it taught me in 45 very painful minutes for both of us. Um that I had to take accountability and responsibility cuz I was the one making this business decision. I knew it was the right one and and I and I wasn't backing down from the business decision and I had to take responsibility for the impact it had on her even though that was never my intention. And so I still to this day remember how we ended the conversation and and make no mistake she was pissed and emotionally exhausted at the end of this conversation and and she said to me she says i hate what you're doing in this business i disagree with all the changes you're making did she end up leaving them did she end up leaving no 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 um no she didn't um and and for me the outcome was she didn't like it, but she understood it. And, and then it was, okay, so what are our options? How, how can I help you if this is something you can't get past? So it was like, but because I gave her that space and, and genuinely empathized with her as a mother and a, a breadwinner and all of those sorts of things, we were able to shift the conversation past the change that was happening because the change that was happening was going to happen. It, 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 we weren't negotiating whether or not she could get an exception. That was very clear from the beginning. But once I understood how deep the impact was to her in, in this bigger sense of her life outside of this schedule piece, she and I were able to work together to sort of say, okay, so what, what, what other options could we do? Whether that was moving to a different business, whether that was sort of like and and sometimes that's what you need to do in, in conflict is to shut your fucking mouth and listen to how, regardless of your intention, your actions, decisions, words have impacted the other person without judgment, without excuse. And that's... For me, that's the hardest part because I never want to let anybody down, Shauna. I want everybody to like me. So it must be and a big push me pull you though. It must be a big push me mm. pull you for you because you also don't want to let down the um, the people above you. You also don't want well, them, right? Like, I mean, you're executing mm -hmm. on this from a direction and from an agreement with someone that you're mm -hmm. executing right. their wishes. So you don't want to let right. them down either. You can't, That's you're not right. going to go back up to them and go, you know, I'm going to fight for this woman. You're not. No. Because you want to make them no. happy too, right? 
So you're you're in the middle. Absolutely. And I think that, and I think that's just it is that you, you, um, (laughs) I had a discussion with my brother last night where you, when there's a little bit of friction, when there are consequences to your actions, yeah, you, you're, you, you're forced to reckon with whether or not this is a values thing. Like, is this a core belief? Like, is this like a core memory, like in inside out, or is this just a thing that's happening? Like how, are you going to go to the mattresses on this or, or not? And, and I think, I think I always thought that it was always column A. It was always sort of be unshakable in conflict. And, and, and there's, there's so much more space in that. Um, so I'm I mean, going to, I worked in a very different industry from you Yep. and, and you've, you know, as an entrepreneur now, and then previously in sort of a, a male dominated field, you know, radio broadcasting, what, what did conflict kind of look and sound like for you professionally? Well, I think we've talked about this before and, and in the situation where I am the radio interviewer, the mm-hmm. conflict is created by me. Basically, I'm asking you to tell me the truth and I'm making you uncomfortable by doing that. So I'm actually questioning, you know, your facade. And I I don't mean you, I mean people in general. I am getting to the root of what's behind your mask. And so it is in my DNA as a professional in that sense to actually make you uncomfortable. And it's very natural to me to ask questions that, that, make people pissed off. In fact, I mean, I cannot tell you, I don't have enough digits to count how many (laughs) times people have said to me, do you have to ask so many questions? Like, it's almost like I interview everyone professionally and personally, because I'm massively Mm. curious, because I know that the person that presents themselves at a party is not the person who they really are. Or somebody who presents themselves at a networking event isn't who they really oh, are. Yeah. So yeah. that's why, I, honestly, I, I wish that I could roll my eyes. And it's good that I am not on television because I rolled my eyes a lot when I was on radio. And it was, you know, politicians will... Not even ask, answer a direct question. They'll they'll redirect, deflect, mm-hmm. all of those things. So in, in that situation, in that professional situation, uh, I took great pleasure and made it my job to make people uncomfortable and ask questions and and create conflict. And I've created a lot. I mean, I. Oh, the the premier's uh, assistant made me promise that I wouldn't bring on people that were, um, they were picketing and they were demonstrating against some of their policies. And I brought the um, premier on and then I brought on one of the picketers, even though I promised I wouldn't. (laughs) And fuck, did I get, I had to apologize literally to the premier's office. Yeah, I did. But I, kicking and screaming, my boss was like, you got to do this. I'm like, I'm not fucking doing it. I'm not fucking doing it. <laughs> and he made me do it. I'm, I had I'm to do sorry, it. Sorry, hashtag not sorry. Well, because yeah. then I then I would have been blackballed to have anybody on or the premier on again. 
ever. So, you know, there's that. There was all that stuff. But as an employee, I have been in exactly the situation with your employee where I was the Mm -hmm. one whose life was going to be uprooted whose life was going to change. And, and in, even in the radio situation where my time slot was networked, I had yeah. three different times I had been walked into a room where HR from head office was there and they said, you know, sign this or no, take this home, have a lawyer look at it if you like. But th- these are your walking papers and here's, here's what we're going to give you. And we're going to walk you out the door. And by the way, give us your key card or your fob and see you later. Mm -hmm. And you could come in on the weekend and collect your things. So I've been through those situations. But I've also been in conflict with people of authority. Again, going back to being able to ask anyone any question and make them uncomfortable. Nobody fucking wants their employee to make them uncomfortable and really pull back the shades on who they really are and what they really stand for and who is their best interest. So not everyone was a leader like you, Leah. Not everyone Mm -hmm. is a leader who listens and is empathetic and who really wants to take in the whole person and not Mm -hmm. the situation and doesn't just Think about the facts and think about the pressure mm-hmm. for from the C-suite. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of emotion, again, for me, tied up in not being able to have a voice because I'm low, lowest on the totem pole, Yeah, not feeling like I have the ability to speak up for myself because I'm afraid I'm just going to get fired anyway, and I need this job. I need this job because I had 15 other interviews before I fucking got this one. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to disagree with you, but I'm really pissed off and I'm going to carry that around with me. You know, your perfect employee, the person who's poison, that was me, you know, carrying around Mm -hmm. your anger and your, your resentment and all the things you feel like you're not allowed to say. You're fucking allowed to say them. I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have had leaders that recognized I needed that, that, you know, there were situations going on at home or whatever that made it almost impossible for me to get out of the emotion part of it to actually be more fact-based and more, you know, here's what's going on in my life. And this is how it's going to affect me. You know, yeah. this is what my life looks like. And if you're yep. going to do this, this is what it's going to affect. Like the woman, the exa- exactly like the example yep. that you used. It blew and up her whole life. It, it, yep. it blows up your whole yep. life. But if somebody would say to me, you know, I care about you. I care Mm. about that life. I care that you have to change all these things. Can't change it, but I do empathize. And what I can do, whatever I can do to help, whatever to the limit of my ability, I'll do it. Whatever you need. Yeah. I I care for you as a person, not as a a number. Yes. As somebody who's feeling all of this shit who's carrying yeah. it all around. Uh, and, and I wish that I would have been also had 
the emotional regulation to be able to do it. Because like yourself, I think we've talked about, I get really emotional. Mm -hmm. So I get, yeah. my, my voice starts to shake. I, I yep. start to get teary eyed flushed. and, yep. and I yep. think, uh, you know, there, I can come mm -hmm. up with all the facts, but the, all the emotion that I've held on to erupts. And then yes. what do I do with that? <laughs> what do I do with that? And God forbid, and God help the other person. What do they do with oh, that? God. Like, what oh, the fuck God. do they do that with that? Especially in a professional environment. Yes. I've been in and, those situations. And yeah. when I've seen the other, so I've been in a situation where there was another employee and the manager and the other employee erupted and how mm. that manager handled it with me present okay. was awful. And I, and I think to myself, <laughs> what the fuck were you thinking when you had two people in here that are watching the way oh, you man. lead and watching the way you are as a human, you didn't handle that well at all. So I, I guess the moral of the story for me is I wish yeah. I would have learned earlier in life how to articulate how I feel in a calm way. In, in other words, process it myself, mm -hmm. sit mm -hmm. with that uncomfortable emotion and figure out where it's actually coming from. Like, where is yeah. it that it, I, why is this pissing me off so much? Yes, of right. course, on the outside, it's, it's that, you know, all these things are going to change, but really it's about, mm -hmm. I feel like I don't have control. I feel like yeah. someone else is controlling the decisions in my life and I'm just fucking handing it over to them. No one is giving me a choice. And that's how that I can't speak for everyone, but that's how I always no. felt. And it, I, and it probably goes back to my family of origin, not feeling like I yep. had any control in my situations that I couldn't, you know, control my family. I couldn't control my parents' relationship. I couldn't fix all these things. And so then I'm put directly into another situation in a professional setting <laughs> where, and, and personal actually, where I cannot figure out where I can control anything. Yeah. And really, yeah. Eureka, like, fuck Shauna, you can't control another person. Hello. <sighs> <laughs> like, I know. And it, it's, but that's so irritating, isn't it? <laughs> like, I mean, I, <laughs> Well, if everyone if I, could just do what I say, this would all go fine, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, Everybody has their own experience. I think that also is what. Yes. So I wish that I would have spent a lot more time outside of my own head, outside of my narrowly visioned experience and, and mm -hmm. expanding it, expanded it out and teased it out and empathetic, empathetic. Is that like a verb? Anyway, Empath empathetic did I. I don't know. Come was on, more empathetic, empathetic at eyes. <laughs> put myself in the other person's shoes so yeah. that I could yeah. understand better what that manager was going through or what that, you know, um, CEO was thinking when they were downsizing and the pressure that they had. I never thought of that. I was like, fuck you guys. You're all, you're all way up there. You make lots of money, you know, fuck you. And it all only affects me. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and you chose that. 
I found myself doing that too when I was in the position where something was happening to me. It was, or I was in, you know, this this woman's position instead of the chair. Like when I was on the other side of the table, so to speak, it was like there was a level of resentment because I could see all of the perceived benefits of being a big boss and whether it was the money or the power or the authority or the whatever without empathizing with the pressures and all of those sorts of things. I, what strikes me about, about this conversation and, and it brings it back to uh, the, the family of origin piece, right? Mm-hmm. And and we're, we're I know we're planning on talking about this uh, later on. This idea of control, yep. This idea of being in charge, and there's something in my professional evolution, and and I and I don't know that I could have learned it sooner. I think I had to become a more in my personal life to be able to empathize with people better. Like I had like by becoming a a better friend or sister or daughter or uh or p- parent, you know, all of these sorts of things, it allowed me to see m- more in people because of my own experience, if that makes sense. Um I think so. and I think that I think the biggest thing for me is that I still find myself reacting to in all senses of of conflict, especially in the professional environment is this, this, it's not personal. And everything is personal. Every fucking thing is personal. And I think that was the first piece of teardown that helped me evolve in how I deal with conflict was everything is personal. Nothing is business. No, nope. nothing. Like, and so it's like, and still to this day, if somebody's like, "Oh, you know, don't take it so personally," or bah, 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 like those are fucking like I see red. Those are I'm triggered. Things are I'm gonna get really ragey, um, which is where the self regulation comes in. And so you commented about you wish you had the self-regulation. I am maybe starting to figure that out. And it's for me, it's not about regulating it, like going inward and processing and doing that deep work, that really important deep work of like, what am I really afraid of? What am I really like all of those sorts of things to get to the root cause of it. For me, I that takes so much time and effort. I just label it. And I think what's happening. (laughs) So I think back to some of the very first keynotes that I gave and I would without fail get up on stage and my neck would flush and my voice would crack. And, uh, and there was not a fucking thing I could do about it. But I knew it passed. And so I remember I remember getting up on stage and saying, so a couple of housekeeping items. For the first 60 seconds of this talk, it's going to look like I'm having a stroke. I want you to be reassured that I am actually fine. I am simply, you know, all of the nerves and preparation that's gone into my talk today is about to come out in a 45-second burst. It's going to look quite painful. I assure you I am fine. Please bear with me. Like, 
And then, and my voice would crack and I'd go all red. And it was like a little bit of self-deprecating humor that let me acknowledge what was happening, acknowledge that I, I hadn't figured out how to fix this and, you know, kind of hopefully just sort of put everyone at ease that this would pass and we'll get to the good stuff, but I'm, I'm going to look like I'm having a medical emergency for a moment. Um, you know, please don't call a doctor. Um, and, and I think that's what I do now. Like if I've learned anything in conflict personally is I just try to speak what I'm feeling because I can't, I don't know how to regulate my emotions yet. So all I can do is say things like, I'm having a reaction. I'm not in a place to talk about this right now. Please come back to me in five minutes or, or whatever. I think um, I need to sit have, in it. I, I have no other advice. I think I need to sit in it. So, I mean, I have started to think about, okay, so really, you know, that person and that conflict isn't what's going on here. This is yeah. from a memory. This is a trigger. This is something yeah. from your professional or personal past that is bringing something up that you need to deal with and that you've numbed 20 times over in the past. However, yep. yep. Um, and so maybe we can leave it there and kind of tease that we will talk more mm -hmm. about that kind of sitting in the uncomfortableness mm -hmm. of our own emotions and sitting in why things are coming up for us and why mm -hmm. things are making us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that in another episode. In another uncomfortable conversation. I love it. You got it. <laughs>